Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this September 10th edition of ATS.io Radio. I am your host, Adam Burke. I'm joined today by professional handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We're talking a lot of college football and a lot of NFL here on today's show. Before we get into that, I just want to remind you that over at ATS.io, tons of game previews for this weekend. My daily MLB picks and tips piece. We got golf previews. We got all kinds of stuff going on over there at the website for you to check out. And also, too, we've got sportsbook reviews from the legal sportsbooks here in the United States. Whatever state you're from, if they've got legal betting, we've got reviews of those sportsbooks over at ATS.io to go along with exclusive deposit bonuses if you sign up and make that first deposit. So we encourage you to head on over there and check out everything that we have to offer. All right, with that, we bring on Brad Powers, professional handicapper from bradpowersports.com. And Brad, it's great to talk with you again, man. How you doing? Doing all right, man. Good to hear your voice. I know uh, football's back to back and getting at it here with the NFL and finally some Power 5 college football being played. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, something that's, I think, interesting to our listeners here is that uh, you and I had a nice little sunset dinner last week uh, when I was out <laughs> yeah. in Las Vegas. We, we had a good time getting together and kind of catching up on things. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice to fall back into a rhythm in our routines here given that, you know, there has been very little that's been routine about 2020. Yeah, that was uh, nice. And honestly, uh, I'm a guy with usually high expectations. Didn't have much expectations uh, on that place we went to. Man, that place exceeded expectations there uh, at the end. Uh, I got to say, it was good having a a friendly dinner with somebody. That's been few and far between, obviously, in 2020. Yeah, I bet. And, uh, you know, for those that haven't been to the M, a very, very beautiful place out there. And also, too, you know, you still got a couple days here to sign up for the Circus Sports Million or the Circus Survivor or the Westgate Super Contest. Uh, if you don't, if you do live outside of the state of Nevada, you need a proxy for that. Maddie and Tony over at footballcontest.com will be our proxy services here for our ATS.io entries. And I will be talking about my thoughts for the Circa card here uh, coming up on Friday. But you know, out there in Las Vegas, I got to say, for people that are kind of hesitant to go out there, I would stay far, far away on the weekend, yeah. but, but the weekdays weren't too bad. Yeah. I mean, we, there was just, you know, a couple of reports, even last night, uh, they had some issues, let's just say, on the strip. And believe it or not, I mean, obviously, strips, for the most part, really safe when you consider, you know, all people flying from all over the world uh, and, and whatnot. But the last couple mo- months, let's just say the clientele. Uh, that's when going to the strip. It's a little different, uh, especially clientele that would be going to places like the Wynn, Cosmo, and whatnot. I think Cosmo had a major issue the other night. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's <laughs> definitely interesting. It's always interesting going out yeah. there. And uh, you know, Fremont Street was basically empty when I was down there. Probably about twenty percent of what I would expect to see it uh, on a weekday. But you know, still, I mean, there's still an overlay in the Circa Million and some quarterly overlays in the Westgate Super Contest. So if you want to check those out. Uh, definitely a, a good opportunity and a good time to get involved with those. But, Brand, as we've talked about already, uh, nothing is normal. Nothing is is what we expect it to be here as we head on in to week one of the NFL season and continue with whatever semblance of a college football season we're going to get here. But for you personally, you know, you start your work on the upcoming season basically before the previous season even ends. So you already had a lot of work done before everything shut down. What was different for you about, you know, the preparation for this season? Did you change anything or did you try to keep it business as usual? 
Oh, wow. Great question. I mean, there's a lot of changes with me personally. Uh, you know, so I, I left and kind of left where I was working at, where I was doing a lot of like radio and podcasts and whatnot. So that opened me up to more time. Obviously, March would be typically when I'm, you know, doing NCAA tournament, handicapping, college hoops, and, and being involved even sort of say with the NBA playoffs uh, in, in the months of April and May. So I would a lot more time for me. So I, that was the major change for me. But as far as prep, oh my goodness, uh, one thing that I rely on a lot is you know looking at spring games. A lot of people say I oh, can't get anything from a spring game. I can. I mean, I can tell if the backup quarterback can throw an out pattern, you know, 25, 30 yards down the field type of thing. And not being able to see those spring games certainly uh, hurt hurt my handicapping a little bit. So what I had to do, Adam, believe it or not, I went back and probably watched 200 games from last year. Games that I wouldn't even dream of watching start to finish, like a Massachusetts Army game where Army won 63-7. to So I started going back through tape last year. And then, you know, the difference, transfer portals more prominent than ever, COVID-19 opt-outs more prominent than ever. So that I took the position that if there is football being played, I need to be prepared. I need to actually know how good this position group is. I need to know how good this backup quarterback is because the chances of them having to play this year compared to the past few years is way greater than, than anything we've seen in the past. Well, and I think that's an excellent point to make here. And, and we'll talk about a few games here coming up in week two that you're know, expected to be played at pretty high tempos, probably a uh, relatively breakneck pace in some of these games. And depth will matter a ton, maybe even more than depth usually matters over the course of a season. So having all that prep work done should be beneficial for you. I know you do very, very detailed power ratings, do a lot of stuff in terms of looking at returning production, returning starters. Yep. And, and it, it was difficult for me to get into the college football prep mode because I did a bunch for the Major League Baseball season, and, and we all know how that kind of turned out, uh, you know, with the shutdown and now playing the 60-game season and, and all that. So mentally, I couldn't get myself into that spot to do all of this college football prep work. But for you, it was a process you had already started and were probably pretty close to being finished with. So did anything change about that, the construction of power ratings, looking at returning production, knowing that, you know, there were probably going to be these COVID opt-outs or, you know, if we would have a season in general. Anything change about that power ratings process for you? One thing that did change is, I, you know, obviously returning stars, returning production is prominent. It's not the end-all to be-all, but but it's certainly prominent. I valued those teams, the, the teams that specifically had returning head coach, returning offensive coordinator, returning quarterback, and maybe, you know, not missing a left tackle or center. I valued that more than ever before as far as coming up with an opening preseason power rating. Uh, so just putting a little bit more emphasis on continuity, uh, not, not having to replace both of your coordinators was something uh, I value. Obviously, if you do have to replace both your coordinators and you're you know, drastically changing schemes from a 3-4 to a 4-3 on defense, maybe you're moving to more spread principles on offense, more up-tempo, uh, those types of teams when not having any spring practices – uh, I'm not looking forward to bet these teams here in the first couple of weeks of the season. So is that something you incorporate into the power ratings with regards to like your positional breakdowns, or is that something that just you keep in mind from a handicapping standpoint and, and just sort of factor that angle in? I guess what I'm saying is, do you quantify it in some way or do you just, you know, sort of file that away in the back of your mind? And, you know, maybe you've got a game where the power ratings overlay is a couple of points, 
but it is a team making a lot of drastic changes schematically or something like that. How did you account for that? Was it a mathematical thing or just, you know, more of a, a handicapping angle? So a little bit of both. So into my power ratings, obviously I'm going to look at the talent and the returning production and the, the overall, uh, you know, returning experience and whatnot, as far as an individual position. So I go through quarterbacks, running backs, offensive line, you name it all the way through the whole team. And then I have one very important column. I call it the intangible column where I'm looking at, you know, not only close wins, close losses from last year, uh, just uh, several factors, you know, what your coaches situation is. I actually have a specific column for coaches. So I do up downs for every single position, including the coaches and including this intangibles and get it weighted in the power rating in that regard. Now, specifically when it, we got to game time here, and I, I didn't see too much power ratings differences last week with those six, seven games as far of what we saw. But this week I'm seeing significant differences between what my pure power rating is on the game and then actually, you know, count, uh, then on top of it accounting for, all right, well, what's the continuity? What's the matchup like? So I'll, I'll just use an example, Army UL Monroe. So I upgraded Army big time after that 42 nothing win over Middle Tennessee last week. And after that, you know, I thought, eh, you know, the line should be in the 16, 17 range. Well, it's been steamed to 21. But I'm not, you know, sitting here willing to bet you on Monroe because of the matchup issues, because they, you know, didn't have, you know, limited practice time, because their defensive coordinator resigned last week. So I guess I'm less apt to betting huge, significant power ratings differences because of matchups and whatnot this year. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And, you know, again, I mean, this is all part of the handicapping process in terms of understanding, you know, if, if you do power ratings, where your numbers put a game and if you still like it, because you know your numbers may say one thing, but it could be a bad matchup. There could be, as you mentioned, some of those intangible things. I mean, look, a team like like UL Monroe for, I guess maybe Middle Tennessee State is a prime example. A lot of people liked Middle Tennessee State last week against Army. A lot of people didn't like Army with some new players in that quarterback rotation. Middle Tennessee State with you know all prep period to look at the triple option, and they got dominated because. It's something they don't see, and it was something that they just didn't really account for. And that's something, too. You talk about the intangible process here of if you're Middle Tennessee State, or let's say this week you're Louisiana Monroe, are you more worried about yourself, or are you more worried about defending the option? Because to me, if I'm a head coach, you know, we're not going anywhere. We don't know what bowl games are going to look like. We're not a national championship contender. I want to make sure that my team is right as opposed to worrying about defending this gimmicky offense that I'm going to see once and be completely done with it. So maybe that's sort of fueling this line move with Army, or maybe it's people falling victim to what they've most recently seen. But that will be an issue here early on in the season of, you know, is a team worrying about itself or is it worrying about defending that opposing scheme? Is that opposing scheme something that they will see again down the line? You You talk about some of these games with tempo that we'll get into a little bit more. How do you prep for tempo? You know, what do you do to get your team ready in week one or week two to see 85 snaps? There's not really much you can do if you're a slower tempo team. So maybe you just worry about going through your own progressions, your own assignments. And again, with this year being so dramatically different than any other, all of these factors are in play. They are. And it's tough putting a, you know, a point system to that because it, you know, typically, maybe it's easy to say, oh, that's worth a point. That's worth a couple of points. I mean, in these particular instances, they might be worth a couple touchdowns, Adam. 
we saw Navy not, you know, hitting live for nine months. I mean, it didn't matter who Navy had as far as returning production. I mean, they just weren't ready to play a football game on Monday night. So the difficult thing is how much, you know, putting a point value to this. I mean, with regards to the Army-UL Monroe game, I mean, it could be an instance where you just know in the first couple series of the game, I mean, UL Monroe is just so well equipped. And it doesn't matter if Army's laying 21 or in-game they're laying 28. It's going to be a 50 nothing type of, uh, of situation. So, I mean, as a gambler, when we're taught every half point matters, uh, these are instances where maybe worth the touchdown, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. That, that's the struggle. But it also allows for some opportunity. If you've got a good instinct on this, you might have some of your easiest wins of your entire career. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's something we'll talk about, the lack of hitting. Something I want to touch on when we get to the NFL here a little bit later on in the show. But as I mentioned, we're going to be doing these highlight videos here from ATS.io Radio, talking about some highlight topics, some highlight games, stuff like that. We certainly encourage you, if you're only watching the video, to listen to the full podcast. There's a ton of great information. We're only cutting out some snippets here so that we can produce some video content and a video component uh, from the podcast here, like so many other podcasts in the space are doing. But one of the things I wanted to highlight here with you, Brad, and I'm chatting with Brad Powers, professional handicapper, over at bradpowersports.com, home field advantage. It's an inexact science to begin with. We all kind of have our own approach, our own plan for doing it. But this year, you've got some teams that have no attendance whatsoever, some teams that have maybe 25% capacity where that could mean 20,000 or it could mean 6,000. So what did you do in terms of trying to account for home field advantage here for this college football season? So as usual, uh, case-by-case basis for me. I'm not handicapping baseball and a bunch of other sports. So instead of just saying, uh, you know, not having fans deduct home field advantage a point, point and a half, I I went through and and looked at each team. And you're exactly right. Uh, You know, 25,000 people are going to be in Baton Rouge because it's 25%. If it's somewhere, a much smaller stadium, it might be a couple thousand. So big difference there. And just typically, you know, Eastern Michigan, no fans are going to be, I know they're not playing, so this might not be a great example, but like a team like Eastern Michigan or a Sunbelt school, that's only going to have 5,000 fans in the stands. I mean, the fans weren't even really accounting for the home field advantage to begin with. So I didn't do a major downgrade on a lot of those. But if you're talking teams like an LSU, uh, if the Big Ten ever decides to to play uh, a Penn State at night in a whiteout, those, I mean, taking the fans out of those types of situations is worth two, three points, in my opinion. So overall, blanket statement, I downgraded home field advantage probably about 40% taking fans out of it. Yeah, that was sort of in the realm of what I did. I mean, generally speaking, I, I go with the standard three. And then as I talked about on Monday on our show with Kyle Hunter, which I encourage everyone to go back and check out, I talked about how, you know, I've sort of done a results-based home field advantage calculation of the last three years, uh, straight up and against the spread, putting teams in certain buckets, going from three to three and a half, three and a half to four, even have some teams down as low as two that just don't really have home field advantage to begin with. And that, that kind of brings up sort of an interesting point here. And you know, we won't really know this until we see it. But the idea of, as you mentioned, teams that already don't have much of a crowd anyway, everybody's desperate to be out doing something now because so many people have been you know, locked up or quarantined or just have kind of shied away from crowds or whatever else. Those teams that maybe get 6,000 fans at 25% capacity, 
may actually hit 6,000 fans because people just want to do something and they'll be excited to be doing something. So the ironic thing is in some of the really small conferences, home field advantage may not change at all. And you could make a case could be better. Now for the major conferences, getting 20,000 instead of 80,000. Yeah, that's a pretty big difference and deserves a downgrade. Absolutely. And I think we saw a great example from this past weekend where Army, I mean, an Army typically gets a solid crowd, but they just had the cadets in, in, in attendance. They sp- spread them out. They basically took up uh, half, the, half the side of a, uh, one stadium, uh, one side of the stadium, and there was 4,000 of them. And I don't know if they were pumping in extra crowd uh, noise, and that's another factor you got to almost consider. You almost got to see it first and then make your adjustments after one or two weeks, Adam. But those 4,000 cadets in attendance, it was loud. It was noticeable watching it on TV. Uh, it's not like Middle Tennessee was using a bunch of timeouts <laughs> to account for it, but uh, it certainly showed up, uh, at least watching it on TV. Uh, so you're exactly right. I mean, some of the smaller stadiums might be not, not much of a difference whatsoever when it comes to crowd noise. Not, not to go off on a tangent, but speaking of Middle Tennessee not using timeouts, uh, you, had a, <laughs> you had a great video on your Twitter page, at Brad Powers and the number seven with your commentary uh, on Middle Tennessee State. And, and not just... You know, the calculation of home field advantage, but what it means from a gameplay standpoint. You know, I talked with Brian Blessing. We did a couple of videos on Tuesday, and he thinks that at least as far as the NFL goes, a road team's third down conversion rates could be a lot better here uh, in this neutered home field advantage environment where the fans aren't loud. You know, you can communicate, you can talk to each other, you can make sure that you're on the same page. So, yeah, you've got your calculation in terms of creating your numbers, but what do you think about gameplay and the impact of home field advantage or the lack thereof here for this college football season? Well, that first and foremost, that's a really sharp take to, to go in as far as third down conversions because, you know, I'm not sure yet. All of this is theory because none of us have handicapped the COVID-19, but, you know, do road teams do better? Because, I mean, if, you, if you don't, you're not having to do silent counts and, and whatnot as far as the, the, the snap goes, and you're not dealing with those, you know, third down sort of say, uh, you know, looking at it, you're dealing with, you know, third and long, third and ten more manageable now because there's no crowd noise. I, it could be uh, scoring wise, uh, offensively, uh, offense is going to be affected. Specifically, road offenses probably not as much. So uh, the tough thing is is not a lot of in-game opportunities, specifically on the college side, to, to see if you can take advantage of it. But just general concepts for me, maybe more scoring, because I think offenses are affected by crowds, in my opinion. And, and maybe, uh, I would say, road teams just generally performing uh, above expectation. Well, and I think it favors offense for another reason, too. You know, not even just third down when the fans kind of get going and they're playing graphics on the scoreboard and, and all that. And again, I mean, 20,000 people can be pretty damn loud. So we'll see what happens in these major conferences, but also too, you're not going to see as many false starts. Probably you're not going to be behind schedule as much. You're not going to go from second and four to second and nine. And all of a sudden put yourself, you know, behind schedule behind the chains a little bit, so to speak. So maybe that's something that kind of just is a byproduct that winds up helping offense a little bit. Again, as you said, this is all speculatory at this point in time, we have to see how things kind of play out. These are things that you want to have in the back of your mind here as you're watching these games, as you're following along, and see if this is actually what's happening or if it's something different than you expected. Because, you know, again, we're all kind of going through this feeling out process here, and there's always a feeling out process early in the season, but uh, 
clearly this year different from others. Absolutely, it is. That's why I, you know, in some instances, I've been more cautious, uh, less aggressive than what I have been. In other instances, you know, I've I've not been afraid to, to fire away if I think I really have an advantage. Well, like we said, we're going to be doing these highlight video clips here from ATS.io Radio and posting them over on our ATS YouTube page. So make sure you check those out uh, with every show. But of course, as we said, you want to listen to the full shows so you don't miss anything. And you can subscribe on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcast content. So with that, let's take a look here at some of these games here in week two. And, you know, Brad... I think we've seen some interesting line moves here so far. We've certainly seen a variety of moves across the totals market. Sides seem to be kind of hammered, not into submission per se, but some of the value extracted with these games being up here for so long. Real quickly, since it is Thursday, and I'm going to try and turn this around as fast as I can, any thoughts on game 393, 394 tonight between UAB and Miami, Florida? I'm part of the money on the over. I bet the the over early in the week at like 50 and a half. Uh, boy, now at 54 and a half, 55, a lot of value sucked out of that. And the thought process is, you know, certainly in a week one total, uh, you're dealing with a lot of, you know, what were the statistics from a prior year as far as average uh, points per game, whatnot. I mean, there's so much from the, the, the previous season. I thought the mispricing was, hey, Miami struggled at quarterback the last three, four years or even longer than that. Now they have a dynamic quarterback in De'Ara King, and they're going to move more off-tempo. I, I, I agree with the move to the over, but, boy, currently on the side and total, don't see too much value. If, if Miami continues to take some money on the side, I might you know, bite off a, a ham sandwich on UAB. Well, these are always interesting games, too, because, I mean, look, UAB is a great Conference USA team. You know this as well as I do. I know you were fairly high on UAB coming into the year. A lot of returning production, a lot of continuity on that team. Bill Clark is an excellent head coach. At the same time, this is a step up against Miami. Now, Miami maybe doesn't recruit at the levels that they once did, but it's still Florida recruiting. It's still Florida talent. And UAB didn't even have a program a few years ago. So you have to kind of factor that in, and it's tough to do that early on in the year. Does Miami look like this more talented, more dynamic, more explosive team or does UAB, who's a great team in its own conference, with a lot of carryover from the previous year, you know, is that good enough for them to hang around in this game? And we do get a lot of games like that early on in the process. We do. And in this particular instance, I, I think a lot more unknowns than answers. Specifically, Miami. Do I really want to lay two touchdowns with a Miami team that in the last two years has lost 11, 11 games outright as a favorite? Nobody's even in that realm of Miami the last two years as far as losing games outright as a favorite, let alone covering the spread. And you mentioned UAB stepping up. As good as Bill Clark's been the last three years since they, they kind of revamped the, their program and got it going again, they haven't looked good, UAB, when they've had to step up. I mean, they're 0-3 against the number against P5, and uh, they lost those games by about 24 points per game. Well, we'll see what happens here in tonight's game. Again, I think with the totals move and the side not really showing a ton of value, I do have this number a little bit lower for what it's worth. I think I've got UAB, I want to say 12, 11 and a half, something like that. So maybe I am a little bit lower than the market here uh, on this game. 11 and a half is my number. But still, with that being said, the talent gap may show up here. And if the talent gap does show up, it makes it very tough for UAB to have enough because they're not a very good offensive team. I mean, they're a good running team, 
But if they've got to go out there and try to score, you know, 24, 28 points with Miami to keep pace, that probably won't happen. So probably a good live betting opportunity, not a whole lot of value left on the pre-flop handicap for that one. What about the first game on the board for Saturday? Syracuse and North Carolina, 395, 396. You and I talked about this last year uh, when we were doing this for Bang the Book Radio about North Carolina, about how we were both going to be high on them coming into this season with the job that Sam Howell did as a true freshman with two very good coordinators in Phil Longo and Jay Bateman with Mac Brown, who kind of more of a figurehead than anything else, but maybe he's turned the clock back a little bit here with this team. All of a sudden, this number is up to 23, and it looks like there's not going to be much value on North Carolina early in the year. No, so get this, and I know it's an illiquid, inefficient market because so few uh, books have season win totals up, but my favorite over bet as far as the season win total is North Carolina, over 7.5. My favorite under bet is Syracuse, under 5. So you would think, hey, week one, there should be a hell of a lot of value on North Carolina here. They're my favorite over team. Syracuse is my favorite under team. And my power ratings have it right around 21. And the, the thought process, at least the tea leaves that I'm reading, is people are at least, and again, it's all speculation, but they're not liking the preparation as far as Syracuse. Re- reading the, the players' comments as far as, uh, you know, the player un- unrest as far as Black Lives Matter and whatnot. Uh, you know, a couple of their running backs, their top two running backs just opted out. So th- there's at least this thought that Syracuse might be, uh, the, in quotations, a Navy type of team where they just aren't, aren't ready to start the season. I don't think you're going to question that as far as the North Carolina side. I think the team has high expectations, a lot of returning production. Uh, I look at, at what Mac Brown's just done in a couple of recruiting classes. He's upgraded the talent level. And I think right now, you know, Trevor Lawrence aside, who's better than Sam Howell, a quarterback in the country outside of Trevor Lawrence? I mean, your boy Justin Fields can't, and they can't field a team there in Ohio. But other than that, Sam Howell is your best quarterback in the country. I, I'm not going to play it. Uh, typically, I mean, if it continued to go up, I'd want to take Syracuse. But in this instance, uh, I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, I'm 21 here too. And, and as it's gone up, I mean, if you haven't hit the market yet on this game, Maybe North Carolina first quarter or first half if you are worried about Syracuse and their preparation. The thing for the Orange, too, new offensive coordinator and Sterling Gilbert, they're expected to move a little bit quicker here, which is probably what Dino Babers ultimately wants to do. But also it means you go three and out pretty quick, which means North Carolina could wind up with a lot of possessions early on in this game. And something else, too, and as we look up and down the card here, uh, we'll pick and choose some more games as we go, but some big favorite prices, and you wonder here, I saw this kind of being talked about with a team like Clemson, who's a 32-and-a-half, 33-and-a-half point favorite. How long does Trevor Lawrence play? How long till they empty the bench? How long till they bring in the freshman? It's going to be a similar thing for a lot of these big favorites. If they get up big, how long does it take them to ease off the gas? Because like we talked about already in terms of your power ratings construction, depth will matter a ton this year. You're going to have to use yep. those guys at some point in time, whether it's COVID-related, injury-related, or just because, you know, who knows if these teams are in mid-season form or anything close to it from a conditioning standpoint. I'm wary of laying big favorites early on in the year here. If you think a game is going to be controlled by that big favorite side, maybe the first half derivative is where you want to look. Excellent point. And certainly, if you were going to attack it, that's how I would as far as early uh, derivative market. And you hit the nail on the head. If I'm a head coach and I'm up three, four touchdowns, I mean, I've got, I got to get players in because you, you hit the nail on the head. 
I mean, the chances of a lot of these second and third stringers playing this year, at least significant minutes, what, what an increased double, triple, uh, compared to the chances of previous years. I mean, I'm getting these guys some experience early and often. I want to talk to you about game 397-398 here, Charlotte and Appalachian State. Uh, Appalachian State, 17-point favorite, but it's been pretty one-sided money on Charlotte driving this number down, and it looks like sharper money in nature. The public knows App State. They'll be more comfortable and more familiar with App State, but this line has gone down, does suggest some sharp money on Charlotte here in the early going. However, I'll throw this out there. We just had a highlight conversation about home field advantage. Boone, North Carolina is at elevation. It's about 3,300 feet above sea level. Without the Mountain West, without the Pac-12, we've got two teams that have an altitude advantage. One is App State. The other is UTEP, who has virtually no advantage every single week. But El Paso is at 3,700 feet above sea level. So I wonder about that here and, and how much maybe that factors into your home field advantage number for App State and also your handicap of this game specifically. Well, I didn't think of home field too much. Uh, and, you know, I would say App State in comparison to other group of fives, probably about a half point higher. Already building the number as far as the elevation. Not particularly concerned here. Maybe I should be because I'm part of the money on Charlotte early in the week. My number is 16, 17. So I, I took anything above 17 I thought was a positive EV bet. Uh, let, let's hope it's positive EV for me. Uh, but uh, looking at it, you know, didn't come into my thought process because Charlotte just played in this exact venue and stadium last year. And, and more specifically, my handicap was a lot staff turnover for App State. Uh, Charlotte, meanwhile, a little bit more continuity. Will Healy in his second year has been a guy that, that just, you know, if you look at the job he did at Austin P. I mean, that program took a couple notches up first year and then took a couple more notches up his second year. If that's the case, and I think Charlotte's a really good bet. I mean, they could have almost won last year's game, and then they outstatted, out first down, App State, a couple of, of fluky non-offensive scores for the Mountaineers. Otherwise, that's basically a game looking like it's heading to overtime. So that's where I thought the perceived that the value to be uh, there. And, you know, look, uh, could be a precursor, could not be, but, you know, App State had one, especially at the Google 5 level, well, when you have one of your best players opt out, Corey Sutton did for App State, I don't know if that's a good sign. We saw Southern Miss last Thursday, but, you know, three, four of their starters opt out. I get Power 5 guys opting out, like a Penny Sewell from Oregon or a Micah Parsons from Penn State because they're going to be drafted in the first round. I don't get it from a group of five aspect, I, unless it's family related. And I know I, I got to be PC here, but uh, it, to me, it maybe raises kind of eyebrows. Is the team ready? If one of your team leaders opts out, you know, what's the thought process going through the team? No, that's, that's a good point. It's, it's a good question, you know, especially because, you know, the thing of it too is, is, is if you're in a power five school, it's sort of next man up. I mean, even if you're a first round caliber pick, the guy behind you is probably pretty good. At the group of five level, the guy behind you is is a significant step down in most cases. So that's why we don't see a similar level of consistency from the group of five programs. App State, kind of one of the exceptions. Yeah. But now you also wonder, you know, look, uh, Scott Satterfield is an awesome head coach. We'll talk about him in a minute here when we talk about Louisville. Uh, I think Eli Drinkwitz has a very bright future and obviously now going to Missouri, they seem to think so as well. I don't know so much about Sean Clark. You know, I, I don't know if Sean <laughs> Clark is the guy with that same kind of ceiling uh, as a head coach, I believe is what the offensive line coach last year wound up being the interim head coach for the bowl game. But you wonder about App State and their ceiling, and, and you wonder if maybe something like 
Sutton opting out. And it could have been a family thing, as you mentioned. But you sort of wonder if maybe he kind of sees that the ceiling for this team does end up being a little bit lower here this year. I guess we'll just have to sort of wait and see how that winds up playing out. But another highlight game here, a highlight video for us to talk about from ATS.io Radio. Taking a look here at game 399-400, Georgia Tech and Florida State. Florida State taking some money now. This one up from 11 to 12.5 or 13 out there in the market. Total has come down a couple of points, 54.5 to 52.5. These are such intriguing handicaps for me early in the season because you could say that both of these teams were disappointing last year. But Georgia State getting away from the option, getting to more of a traditional offensive style, we expected growing pains. Florida State, this is multiple years of the Seminoles being a disappointment in Tallahassee. Does Mike Norvell right the ship right away to the point where Florida State covers double digits here? I don't think so. I bit off a little bit already on Georgia Tech. And I'm waiting to bite off more. I, you know, this is one where the market disagrees with me this week, and we'll see how that goes. But Georgia Tech, we talk about returning production, returning uh, continuity. Georgia Tech has that this year. Uh, I mean, they're one of the, the highest uh, returning productive uh, teams in the entire country. 19 returning starters for the Yellow Jackets. I get it. They're still transitioning uh, away from the option offense, but Jeff Collins has put together a really good recruiting class. We'll see some of those freshmen play, I think, even in, in Saturday's game. And, and, you know, this is one thing, and maybe maybe I'm off on this, but, you know, you, from following football for the last 15, 20 years and professionally, last 10 years or so betting on it, I could tell when it's coach speak. But when it came to Jeff Collins, and I get he's kind of a rah-rah guy, I heard him talking about his team in a radio interview maybe a couple weeks ago, and he seemed – he, he basically said his team's night and day compared to last year. And to me, I, I don't know, you know, I've upgraded Georgia Tech significantly. Maybe I didn't upgrade them enough in this instance. And I can tell you one thing I don't want to do week one in a conference game with a team, a Florida State team, that's dealing with a lot of, you know, there was some player unrest this summer. We'll see if that, that's all taken care of. But Florida State, the reality of their program the last few years, Adam, 18 and 20, straight up. I mean, it's a below 500 team, and now you're going to be laying double digits in a conference game against, I think, a Georgia Tech team that's going to be very excited to get out there and play. I mean, Georgia Tech, for me, I uh, bit off a little, and we'll see. If we go 13, I, I'll bite off some more, and you know, maybe if it goes to 14, I'll bite off even more. Well, and the question is, and you and I talked about power ratings at the top of the show, and I certainly encourage everyone to listen to the full broadcasts of ATS.io Radio in podcast form. The thing that's always really difficult for me are these underachieving teams, the Texases, the Florida States of the world, basically, you know, throw a blanket over any team in the Pac-12. When you're putting together your power ratings, you have to respect the talent level. You have to respect the pipeline that's in place. And for Florida State, they still get very good talent. They haven't maximized it over the last few years. But you always have to try and find this perfect balance of, yeah, this team's got a lot of talent. But also, they haven't played well the last several years. Now they do have that new coaching staff, and maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's the catalyst to get this team back to the level that it should be. But I don't like power rating teams like Florida State, programs like that, because, again, you've got to respect that talent level, but it doesn't deserve the respect based on the results, based on what you just said. Again, picking the litter in the Sunshine State, one of the top school or one of the top states for high school football and they are a sub-500 team the last three years. 
So you ask yourself, okay, there's talent here, but what changes? What does wind up being the difference maker? And, and, and I don't know. I don't know if Norvell is that guy, but as you said, Georgia Tech, are they the most talented team in the ACC? No, but they're going to show up and play week in and week out. Collins does seem to be a very good head coach, was a very good defensive coordinator for a long period of time. I think you do have to give the respect and the nod to Georgia Tech here this weekend. I, I do, and just pure power rating. I mean, I had a nine and a half, ten. So, I mean, I, I think there's an overlay in that regard. And, you know, Norvell, is Norvell better than Willie Taggart? Yes, I think that. I think we can almost make that a safe assumption. But is, uh, you know, Mike Norvell, Urban Meyer coming in there and they're going to win immediately and the talent's going to auto, the light bulb's going to go off and the, immediately he's going to show the talent disparity between these two teams? I'm not buying it. So uh, that's why I like Georgia Tech here. It's one, one of the few bigger bets that I made so far as a side uh, in week one here. There you go. We got a consensus play here on Georgia Tech with this highlight game from ATS.io Radio. Make sure you check out the podcast and make sure you check out all of our videos here on our ATS YouTube page. All right, so with that, Brad, we move on to another game here. And, you know, this is one that uh, uh, it's, it's kind of a mess. The Kansas program apparently has a lot of COVID cases. We don't exactly know who as of yet. At least I haven't seen that news come across the wire they take on a coastal carolina team that upset them in lawrence last year but this is a game where the line shot up from three and a half to as high as seven and a half and this was a move early on in the week i think this was probably a group release from somebody out there that did move this game up but man laying almost a touchdown with the jayhawks is uh, is not a comfortable scenario yeah, and I, I agreed with the opener. A three and a half, four seemed reasonable to me. I mean, pure power rating, I had a Kansas three. I, I get the re, the revenge might be a factor. Hey, Kansas isn't going to overlook Coast Carolina. They got beat by them last year. So, I mean, a three and a half, four seemed very reasonable to me. I, I just disagree with, with the three points of line move since then, and for a multitude of reasons. Number one, you look at Kansas, they haven't figured out the quarterback position that, for them. They might even play two quarterbacks this Saturday night. Uh, no, number two for it is Kansas got zero spring practices in. Uh, if you're expecting them to take that next step under less miles, I mean, they don't have a lot of returning production, only like 10 or 11 returning stars for the Jayhawks. So th- that's a negative. And I think a positive for Coastal Carolina, more returning experience and production, specifically on offense for the Chanticleers. And Coastal Carolina got all 15 spring practices in. They're the only team left playing that got a full allotment of springtime in. And there was no worries at that point about COVID-19. You just went in there and did your business and had your spring. So I think that's a major significant advantage for Coastal Carolina, and I bet it. Plus seven. I took off, you know, a couple shots had that seven and a half, of course. But, you know, the widely available seven that it was there uh, yesterday, I released it. It's probably my favorite pick of the week as far as the side goes. Now, that is an angle you've been tracking, right? The teams that have had more spring practices. and, And so far, again, very small sample size, but it has done well. Very small. It's 4-0 ATS, and I, I got to put a caveat in there before someone starts fact-checking me. I did cherry-pick one game. Uh, UAB had more spring practices than Central Arkansas. I threw it out because Central Arkansas actually played a game the, the week before. So we're talking experience. And, you know, I know it's not apples to apples, but I did cherry-pick a little bit, threw that one out. But if you just throw that one out, 4-0 ATS as far as the teams that have more spring practices. One more game I want to talk about from a highlight standpoint here. So another ATS YouTube video for us to check out. Western Kentucky and Louisville. And 
Yeah, I think a lot of people are very excited about Louisiana and Iowa State. I know it's a game that you talked about uh, on your Twitter page, at Brad Powers and the number seven. This is the game to me that I think is really, really interesting because Western Kentucky has been a pretty consistent, for the most part, team there in Conference USA, at least you know once they figured things out last year with first-year head coach Tyson Helton. And Louisville last year dramatically exceeded expectations in year one with Scott Satterfield, who I just think is a damn good coach. And I don't know if I would say he's top five. He's certainly top 10 for me uh, nationally as far as head coaches go. This is an interesting one. You've got the spread here, 11 and a half, total going up a little bit from 56 to 58. Again, I know a lot of people excited about Louisiana-Iowa State, but I think this is the game that I'm kind of watching the closest here in week two. Yeah, and I can see certainly see that. Uh, both teams kind of similar. Both second-year coaches. Both last year, I thought, certainly overachieved from an expectation standpoint, but far and away, both at Louisville and Western Kentucky. Um, when you look at returning production, you got to love the skill position talent there for Louisville. This is a team returning Cunningham, a quarterback, very dynamic. Get that guy in your head. Cunningham, the quarterback for Louisville, a highly productive passer, also a dual threat. And you look at Atwell, wide receiver for them, Hawkins at running back. I mean, probably the best group of skill position players that nationally people aren't aware of. You need to know those guys for Louisville. Less returning production as far as the skill position goes for Western Kentucky. Lost their quarterback, lost their top wide receiver, Lucky Jackson. They do bring in, and this is intriguing, at least as far as I'm concerned, a Maryland transfer, uh, Pegram, at quarterback for them, uh, a, a guy that's known more of a runner than passer. And if you look at Louisville's defense last year, they struggled defending mobile quarterbacks. Specifically, if you look at that Kentucky game at the end of the regular season, Louisville's defense didn't have a clue how to defend it. So, you know, I would lean Louisville here just because my power rating is called for it. I, I think it's more in the 12 range for me. And I just go back to last year's matchup on a neutral field. Louisville was clearly the better team, won by 17, and the box score reflected it. But I, I kind of like the over. I like the skill position talent for Louisville, and I think Louisville's defense might struggle to defend Western Kentucky's offense. A little bit of, of over for me uh, in this one. Yeah, and again, you know, you've got Western Kentucky with some of that turnover. We've talked about that. It's kind of been a running theme here throughout the show so far of returning production, continuity, and the increased importance of that here with the fact that we didn't really get spring practices. You know, fall camps have been a little bit limited to a degree. As you mentioned earlier on in the show, Navy wasn't even hitting each other. We saw that kind of come to the forefront, getting blown out by BYU. It's just been such a different lead up to the season here where maybe Louisville's continuity is sort of that determining factor, along with the fact that, I mean, look, they're an ACC team. They recruit at a much higher level, stuff like that. But, you know, again, I want to see how Western Kentucky looks here in this game. I think maybe Louisville would be the lean for me. I agree with your thoughts on the over, and that would be a consensus play here from us. Look at that over, uh, which is now, again, in that 58 range. But these are always such interesting games, and, and one other angle to consider here, and I wrote about this uh, over at ATS.io in my situational betting tips piece, these little brother versus big brother games always intrigue me. You you know you're going to get little brother's best shot. This one maybe not as you know obvious as some of the others like directional Michigan schools against Michigan or something like that. But still, you know this is a game about bragging rights for Western Kentucky because those homegrown players probably weren't recruited by Louisville. So those little brother, big brother games always intrigue me too. They certainly do. And one more factor, just if you want to keep track of it, 
spring practice is Louisville seven nothing in that regard. So another reason for me leaning with the Cardinals here. Well, like I said, we've got these highlight game clips, these highlight topic clips on our ATS YouTube page, and make sure that you check out the full broadcast here of ATS.io radio. Before we transition over to the NFL side of things here, Brad, any other college games you want to hit on that are uh, of interest or that maybe, you know, you've got kind of a stronger opinion on? You know, I'll just, you know, for the people listening, I mean, if you're looking for a couple, you want to make a couple bets, Coastal Carolina and Georgia Tech would be my two recommendations for this week. That's what I give out to, you know, my newsletter customers. We're easing into the season a little bit, so maybe a little bit smaller bets, but those would be the two that that I'm looking at, obviously, because I got the most money on. What do you think about Notre Dame? And what do you think about Duke now with Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer at quarterback? We know David Cutcliffe, very good at developing quarterbacks. What do you think about that game? That, that seems like kind of a line that may get some interest here uh, once we get to Saturday. Certainly with Notre Dame. And we'll, I think Notre Dame might take some money. So if it climbs above 21, I might, you know, bite off a little bit on Duke. But my power rings are right in line with that one. I got Notre Dame by 20 and a half. That's right where about where the line is on the game. So no bet on the side. You know, reading through, you know, some of the people that I respect in the marketplace, I'm kind of getting talked into the under, and I probably should have fired a little bit earlier on it, but I think money is going to come in on the under. makes a lot of sense. Notre Dame uh, loses their top three receivers from last year. They return all five starters offensive line, and I think they want to take a good look at some of their young running backs. So I think Notre Dame is going to be more rush-oriented. You look at the Notre Dame defensively, didn't have any issues defending Duke last year. I mean, it was a 38-7 whitewashing. I actually bet Duke in that game, sad to say. But uh, I think the under, at least from everything that I'm reading from guys that I respect, that that would be my bet right now on the Notre Dame-Duke game. All right, as we transition over to the NFL side of things here for a few minutes to finish up this Thursday edition of ATS.io Radio, Home field advantage in the NFL. You know, we talked about it at length in college football. We even did uh, one of the highlight videos here of it. What, what about home field advantage in the NFL, where it's not as significant as it is in college to begin with? So what did you wind up doing with it here for this year? Uh, didn't go team by team. Maybe I'll make those adjustments again if I see, you know, how many fans are. I mean, because the Cowboys are talking about way more fans than some of the Northeast schools. So I, I haven't played around too much on a team by team basis. So what I did, I just cut it in half. I uh, just took the fans out of it. Uh, I'm right around in that one and uh, a quarter points for home field, one and a half points. Just blindly uh, put that out uh, for, for each team when I was assessing uh, season win totals and whatnot. 1.25 to 1.5 uh, points for me. That's where I'm at right now on home field advantage. And obviously, I'll make half point adjustments as I see week one, week two with these teams playing actual home games and seeing who has fans in the stands and if they even matter. Now, it's a much more labor-intensive process studying for the college football season, you know, especially for you. You do so much work in terms of power ratings and, you know, all the metrics that you look at and and stuff like that. What about the NFL? I mean, what's just sort of your your general generic approach and strategy uh, to betting on professional football? I would say, you know, I don't know the left tackle for for the Raiders, per se. I don't know it player-specific because I just don't think outside the quarterback position – Players really matter in the NFL. They're just not going to move a point spread. Where maybe they're not moving a point spread in college football, they should be moving a point spread. I think we even saw the Austin P Central Arkansas game where just a long snapper for Austin P probably should have moved a point spread considering Austin P didn't have a backup and they had to change their whole game plan uh, during the course of the game. I, I'm not as player-specific. What I am is more markets 
uh, specific when it comes to the NFL. I think what I do better than even anything I do in college is reading the NFL market and, and identifying specifically where the public's going to go because the public has a say in the NFL more than any other sport uh, here in, in America as far as having an impact on the line and having, let's just say, a, a, a bias, a media narrative. I play against that all the time. I've had great success over the last five years. Actually, a better track record than college in the NFL for me. So to me, it's all driven by the market. I'll probably fade even some of the market moves that we've seen over the course of the summer. Uh, just teams getting way too expensive, in my opinion, from a point spread aspect. I, I didn't go in and dive and watch game film from last year or whatnot, Adam. I, I typically not had any issues uh, with the NFL, never had a losing season. And to me, I'm, I know COVID-19 brings up a lot of different factors. But to me, all that, at least at right now, is speculative, and that's all noise. I'm just doing what I've been doing the last five years because I've had an overwhelming amount of success in it. Well, you know, making this transition here from Bang the Book Radio to ATS.io Radio, we're looking at a different market now. We're looking at the U.S. market and, and the legal market here uh, across the country. And I want to get your thoughts on that and, and how you feel like that may impact the NFL this year. Because you just said that, you know, the public has a lot more influence in the NFL. It is the most bet market globally, probably second to soccer, just because that's so popular overseas. Yep. But in terms of North America, in terms of the United States, NFL far and away, the most popular betting market. And we see that influence, as you mentioned, with the narratives, but simply with the volume that's put on the NFL and the teams that people want to play on. Well, now you're, you've got the U.S. market where you've got more geographic bias. You've got more people with access to betting on the NFL. How do you think that changes the dynamic here uh, in this first season where we've got, you know, upwards of, what, I think it's 20 or 22 states or something like that now that have legal betting? Great question. You know, and again, I think it's speculative at this point. And are people going to be willing to bet? If it was a typical football season, we didn't have COVID and people were just out and about doing their thing, then I would say, you know, I would be looking into it more. I'm not sure if people are going to be, you know, taking that trip to Atlantic City or Vegas if they're kind of on the fence about it or, you know, going to the local book or mobile signups. I mean, let's face it. I mean, people's economic situations probably aren't as good as what they were on March 1st. So we'll see what the expended, uh, expended uh, income is as far as, you know, being able to bet on that. Again, wait and see for me right now. If it was a typical season, though, I'd be certainly looking at it uh, and seeing if the public's going to have that factor i'm not seeing it too much as far as the week one lines and, and and the public anyways is so late to the game even this year i don't even think because the nhl and nba were and major league baseball heated up in august i don't even, i think football has been furthest from their minds we'll see maybe on game day though you know the public having a, a bigger say than ever before that, that's what i'm looking for i'm waiting till sunday to see if there is you know money coming in that we haven't seen all summer long where it's trickled in in the past uh, from the betting public and, and specifically in August. Well, and we've talked about a lot of the great signup offers over at ATS right now. And, and that's something that's kind of interesting too, is that at the outset of the season here, you're going to get a lot of bonus money being played. You're going to get a lot of these risk-free bets and stuff like that, which, you know, kind of impacts how these, you know, U S facing books balance the action on a game, you know, and, and when we get deeper into the season here, you know, probably weeks four or five and so on, that's where you've got maybe some truer counts in terms of the action actually being bet. So maybe that gives you a more concrete indicator 
of where these states are actually coming in, where the betting public is actually coming in. So that's going to be kind of interesting, too, is that a lot of people in weeks one and two will have the water wings on. You know, they'll have the small deposits or the bonus money or something like that out there. Maybe as things kind of progress a little bit, we see a, a different kind of customer, maybe a more confident customer, depending on how favorites and overs do the first couple of weeks of the season <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, but you know, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to follow not just this week, not just next week, but as we move forward here and also to see price discrepancies from state to state and all those different kinds of things. Again, a lot of speculation, and that's kind of been you know another theme of the show here, just waiting to see what happens. But you know that's something that, that's been very intriguing to me as legal sports betting has grown throughout the United States. Certainly. Uh, <laughs> there's so much speculation, though, this year. I mean, speculation and putting a price point on it usually leads to opportunity, especially for guys like myself. But, again, you, you like to have data points. I, I don't have it. I mean, really, we got one mature market in the state of Nevada and one market in, in the state of New Jersey that's rapidly getting to becoming a mature market. A lot of these states, I don't know if they're going to necessarily have a, a big say, at least this year, uh, but, but certainly something we got to keep uh, well aware of here moving forward. And who knows? I mean, uh, it, it, it's something that, that might obviously shock us in the next couple of weeks, and we see it. Uh, I would say... It's not a part of my pro- thought process too much right now, but but it, it could well be by week two. All right, so we got a highlight game here for ATS.io Radio. We're going to be having this video over on our ATS YouTube page. That is the Browns taking on the Ravens in a game with uh, interest to me. Got the Browns shirt on here. I don't know there how much you, you can see it. I'm trying to hide my fat beer gut uh, from the camera, but got the Browns shirt on here. Looking forward to the start of this season with dynamic skill players. They just signed Kareem Hunt in extension. They've got the two backs set up. They've got Landry and OBJ. They've got talent at tight end now with Austin Hooper. And they've got Kevin Stefanski. On the other hand, they're taking out a Baltimore team that not much has really changed. They're basically the same team from last year, a team that was, you know, a preseason Super Bowl favorite uh, up there with the preseason Super Bowl favorites, I should say. Still Lamar Jackson, still John Harbaugh. What do you think here about the Ravens who are laying, you know, seven and a half or eight as this number trickles down a little bit in the market? I lean with the Browns here. Uh, I obviously can't question the talent that they have. I mean, the problem for the Browns has been coaching continuity. And I would say lack of having a head coach specifically last year with Freddie Kitchens. So, you know, Kevin Stefanski could be horrible, but I think I still think he's an upgrade over Freddie Kitchens. So uh, having a little bit more, uh, from that department, I think that I would say is better for the Browns. And what also is better for the Browns, I mean, you talk about off-season noise the last three years. The Browns have been the <laughs> the paramount of off-season noise, whether it be Baker Mayfield, whether it be Hard Knocks from a couple of years ago, whether it be o- OBJ. I mean, I know you're there, so maybe you're not a good – I would say someone that can maybe – price point this account for it, but I've barely heard anything from the Browns this year compared to offseason as far as nationally goes. Uh, I know that's a Browns town and they talk about it 24 seven, but I, I think not having any noise or at least the perception of not having any noise this year for the Browns, I think is a positive. Uh, I also think being able to, to play Lamar Jackson and defend his style for the third time, I think is a positive having all offseason uh, to defend him and having the game film is a positive for the Browns. The fact that they went into Baltimore last year and beat up uh, the Ravens should give them a sense of uh, uh, of optimism that they can hang. 
So, yeah, I think anything above seven, uh, I mean, I bit off a little bit on the Browns here. Even though, historically, the Browns are the worst team in the NFL, bar none, as far as season openers. They've won one season opener since, 2000, or since 1999, since they started it back up. I know you're well aware of that. Yeah, I wish I could say I remember the game that they won, but I actually don't. Um, the one thing I did see, you know, division dogs, very good in week one, 38, 16 and one the last yep. 55 times that's happened. So that's something that maybe favors the Browns a little bit. As far as the hype train, very guarded optimism, I would say, you know, in this area, I'm born and raised in the Cleveland area. Guarded optimism would be what I would call it. But what's interesting is, you know, like you said, I feel like nationally, or at least in gambling circles, it's the Arizona Cardinals that are kind of getting that Cleveland Browns treatment here this year with Kyler Murray, with Cliff Kingsbury going to play really fast, with getting DeAndre Hopkins and you know, Isaiah Simmons and all that. The Cardinals have kind of taken over that mantle as that team that everybody wants to buy into. Uh, the Colts are a beloved team out there. Some people kind of getting on the Chargers bandwagon. Like you said, the Browns. Is that Tampa that Bay about with teams. Tom Brady? Oh, uh, yeah, whatever. Everyone knows about Tampa Bay already. Right. The, the, the Browns aren't that team this year. And maybe yeah. that does help them. And, and, you know, Baker said all the right things for the most part, you know, about kind of getting focused again and, and stuff like that. And maybe he's got a good rapport with Stefanski. God knows it's got to be better than his rapport with Kitchens. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Browns have a chance to do something special here and we'll get a good litmus test in week one. With that being said, and I think both of us do kind of lean with the Browns here a little bit, this is the you know, the poster child for not overreacting to what you see in week one. If the Browns get their asses kicked, and it is a possibility, it doesn't mean that they're bad. If the Browns beat the Ravens, it doesn't mean that the Ravens are regressing. Don't read too much into this single game, because I think you could wind up costing yourself some money here in subsequent weeks if you do. Oh, and the biggest overreaction week of the entire NFL season, year in and year out, is overreacting to one week, that week one sample size. I love, I, I hope there's pl plenty of that going on in week one this year. So I hopefully there's market overreaction. Uh, but I agree with you. I could see the Browns winning this game outright, uh, or I could see them losing the game by three, four touchdowns. And l let me not you know say be too much down on Baltimore. I think outside of quarterback, and again, Lamar Jackson was the MVP last year. I think the Ravens had the best roster and at least the deepest roster in the NFL. And maybe that doesn't come to fruition in this game. But I think over the course of the season, having that very deep roster, even though everyone's limited to 53-man roster in the NFL, I think having that depth of talent for the Ravens uh, is why they're still clear-cut the favorites, at least in the AFC North. Well, maybe not the strongest pick from both of us here, but we do have a lean towards the Browns in this Browns-Ravens game here uh, for this video on our ATS YouTube page. And we certainly encourage you to go check out all of the content, not only at ATS.io, but also on our YouTube page as well. Brad, a couple more games I want to hit on with you here before we wrap things up for today's show. I thought that this was an interesting one. Seattle and Atlanta. Seattle... Two, two and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. This one's kind of all over the place, but hasn't hit that magic number of three to this point. We saw some under money come in earlier in the week. We've seen a little bit of over buyback now from 49 and a half uh, down to 49, but it was 48 and a half, 48 uh, at some places here. That surprised me to see a little bit of under money here, but I am seeing people generally a little bit higher on the Seahawks, I think. Than they've been over the last couple of years, and the Falcons being an afterthought 
with Tom Brady at Tampa Bay and, of course, the Saints being as good as they are. Yeah, so I, you know, pure power rating, I got Seattle by like a half here. So so not a huge overlay and, you know, probably agreed with, with more of the opening number than, than Seattle getting a bunch of money. Seattle's been a, a notorious slow starter at least the five last five years uh, under Pete Carroll. I mean, they're 0-5 against the spread in, in week one. And they're playing, you know, a competitive Atlanta team. Uh, the problem is Atlanta's a dome team, really relies on that home crowd. Uh, not going to have it this year. How's that going to impact them? Uh, to me, no real bet on this one, Adam. Uh, if it went to three, obviously, I, I'd take a, a chunk on Atlanta plus the points there. But right now, the current situation, nothing for me. No, I guess in general, and I don't know, maybe I should have done this for a video, but it just kind of came to me now. No preseason. You know, you mentioned no. that the Seahawks not a great week one team, and that's with, uh, you know, a traditional preseason uh, over the last five years. And they're typically a good preseason team. Right, yeah. So so what what does that mean to you that there's no preseason? I mean, are, are you looking for offense because we expect tackling to be bad? We expect, you know, defenses to maybe be behind a little bit because they haven't been hitting as much. Are you expecting lower scoring games because offenses don't really have the timing down yet? What, what do you think the, the absence of a preseason does here from a gameplay standpoint? You know what? I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I don't know. And, and the market's pretty much says they don't know because we see, I think, case-by-case basis. Some games are getting steamed to the over. Some of the totals coming down. I'm not seeing, you know, the market, generally speaking, reacting, uh, you know, in one direction as far as the total goes. Uh, you know, what I worry, and I'm going to give credit to Warren Sharp here, uh, and, and I, I think as we get to contact, because we've had limited contact in as far as the uh, leading up to it is, you know, no OTAs or at least limited OTAs, not having that contact as far as the four preseason games. I'm worried about once these teams do go live, and I agree with Warren here, uh, we could be seeing some injuries early on this season a lot more frequently. Uh, so that is my biggest concern as far as week one goes. Maybe the best indicator here, the Thursday night football game between the Texans and the Chiefs, this total as we're recording here, is dropping. It's down to 53.5 at some places, down as low as 53 at others. Clearly a sharp move on the under because it's an over-paradise yeah. for recreational betters out there. All the fantasy football players in this game, Mahomes and Watson, it's a stone-cold over for recreational betters. I actually like the over in this game a little bit too because I think tackling will be impacted early on in the year. But sharp money coming in on the under here, maybe suggests that could be the philosophy that, you know, no preseason hurts the offense a little bit, but I guess we'll wait and see. Cause Again, as you said, ultimately, I don't know. Yeah. Speculation. We'll see. I mean, I know they got deeper pockets, but we've never had a COVID-19 uh, something where we've been dealing with this before. So even the guys, the professional syndicate groups and whatnot, I mean, unless they know specifically players are going to be out because of positive cases, I mean, to me, it's even speculative. I don't care if you're a $10 parlay better or, or your guy betting tens of thousands on a game. We've never been in this situation before, so your guess is as good as mine as far as I'm concerned. No, that's an excellent point, and hopefully we'll have a little bit more clarity uh, on some of these things next week. Lastly, I want to do one more game preview here, a highlight game for our ATS YouTube page. That is the Packers and the Vikings, and I think this is a very interesting game as well. Packers a fraudulent 13-3 and team last year. Everybody will agree with that. But they beat the Vikings twice last season, which is you know something that helped springboard them to the NFC North Championship. 
Vikings laying two and a half here, total 45 and a half, 46 or so. Again, one of these division games in week one. We got a lot of those, a lot of familiarity. We've talked about continuity. The Packers have a lot of it. The Vikings don't. Is that the difference in this game? Well, we're certainly seeing as far as in the market, because all all summer long, you've seen professional money come in on the Packers here. A lot of guys that I respect took the Packers early on in the summer, plus three and a half. Obviously, blew right through a very key number of three. Uh, so you got to respect that in, in that regard, in my opinion. But man, even with all the, the turnover for me, I still think Minnesota, at least in my power ratings, I have them power ratings as the best team in that division. Now, what gets complicated is, you know, I think Minnesota is going to be one of those teams that's probably most affected by not having the crowd noise in the dome. That can be one of probably top five, top six crowd noise venues in all of the NFL. Not having that, what is is that worth a half point, a point, point and a half, two points? I'm not sure at this point. Minnesota is one of those teams that I give more than three points to as far as home field advantage. My number is three. Uh, right now, I'd lean with the Vikings. I respect the money on the Packers, but but I'd still lean Minnesota. I don't like what I've seen this offseason as far as the Packers. I hated their draft, uh, and I, I wasn't alone in hating their draft. And to me, it wasn't even about Jordan Love. It was their picks after Jordan Love that I didn't like. And, for example, they took A.J. Dillon from Boston College, who I thought would have been like a fifth or sixth rounder at best. They took him, and, you know, we're, we're out of fall camp. He's running third string. Well, no shit. I mean, he wasn't that good. And, in my opinion, not that great uh, fit for that offense for Green Bay. So, to me, uh, Vikings uh, a little here. Respect the money, but Vikings a little lean for me. Well, as we talked about one of our previous videos here, division dogs in week one, 38-16-1 yep. in the last 55 games. I don't know if I love Green Bay in this situation. However, one thing I do love here is teasing Green Bay up to plus eight there and a half. There you go. Th- this is the prototypical Stanford Wong teaser where you tease through three and seven And furthermore, with extra points now being a mess in the NFL, you get four, you get five, you get six. You're getting some really important numbers here in the NFL to take Green Bay up to eight and a half. And the thing about Green Bay is when you look back at them from last season, they were an outstanding first quarter team. One of the best first quarter teams in the NFL. You tease them up to eight and a half, give them an eight and a half point head start, and they have a good first quarter. You're sitting in the catbird seat for most of that game. And Minnesota, probably not the best of yep. catch-up teams here. With no Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen is always hurt. Does get the lion's share of the targets when Diggs isn't in there. So he'll have to have a big game. You wonder about Jefferson if he even ends up playing for the Vikings. So I think this is a great spot to use one of those six-point teasers on Green Bay. Take them from two and a half to eight and a half. Get three, four, five, six, seven of those key numbers there in that range. And find something else to pair it with. You've got you know something like maybe bring Indianapolis down to minus two, uh, something like that. Maybe you take a look at Denver Broncos. at eight and a half. Yeah, Broncos. Low scoring Monday night football game. The altitude factor. You know, maybe a, a Packers Broncos teaser, Packers Colts teaser, something like that. Again, keep in mind you are not tied to just playing spreads, money lines, and totals here. You've got teasers in the prop market and different other things that you can use to your advantage. Absolutely, and that's where the the industry's moving. And even a guy like me has been so ingrained, you know, side and total, side and total. It's even tough for me to think that, you know, a, a lot of times transitioning to all the derivative markets. But, I mean, Advantage Teaser has been good to me the last couple of years. 
that the Packers is one that's certainly circled on my board. Even though I lean Vikings, uh, teasing through those key numbers at three and seven are, are so valuable and I think are going to be valuable necessarily in what I expect to be a lower scoring game. Yeah, lower scoring game. And, and again, you got this high variance environment here and, you know, maybe getting six points, maybe a little bit of a safety net here. You know, again, uh, variance and teasers generally don't go together well. That's why you don't see a lot of them in college football. But I think the NFL, just because of the year over year personnel, all the coaches that are, you know, a lot of carbon copy coaches, everyone following Sean McVay's lead, a lot of guys that we know that have been around for a long time. It's just a more projectable, safer kind of environment here, I think, earlier on in the season for us to bet with a little bit more confidence. And if you can bet with confidence and use one of those teasers, as you said, one of those advantage teasers, probably a pretty good idea here early on in the NFL season. Absolutely. Would highly recommend it. Well, make sure you check out our full podcast shows on ATS.io radio and make sure you keep enjoying these videos over on our ATS YouTube page as well. All right, with that, Brad, we'll go ahead and uh, finish up today's show unless there's anything else you want to mention from an NFL standpoint. No, you know what? I will give out an NFL pick that I like a lot. Uh, I am going to go to Monday night. I already teased it a little bit, uh, you know, sort of say advantage teaser on the Broncos. I'm going to take the Broncos, but I I would say wait here because all the news that's going to be breaking is, boy, the Broncos lost Von Miller. I mean, I I get it. Very uh, top defensive player in the NFL, but the reality is he really doesn't move the market. He could move the market. To me, I'm going to play against the Titans team that I think certainly overachieved last year, specifically in the playoffs overachieving. I think that's the the lasting memory in uh, a lot of the public betters' minds. The reality is, for me, specifically in a COVID-19 season, an early game in altitude, to me already is a major positive for Denver. You look at their home games the last 30 years in week one and week two, they're 33 and four straight up. I mentioned straight up because they're getting points in this game. I think with less conditioning, less OTAs and whatnot, less hitting in practice, I don't think that's a major a good sign for Tennessee going up to Denver. Give me the Broncos plus two and a half. And wait, maybe you get a three on Monday with, with the public, I think, going to be betting on the Titans. Especially with what the Titans did in the playoffs last year. You know, again, we yeah. remember what we most recently seen, and a lot of people loved what the Titans did. Love what the Titans looked like offensively after Ryan Tannehill took over. I agree. I think you do wind up seeing a three. It probably doesn't last for long, but if you see one, definitely worth taking there uh, in that second Monday night football game. And as we do this more, Brad, we're going to streamline this a lot more. I know I had a lot of uh, you know promotion for the ATS YouTube and all that throughout the show, but as we do this more, as we get back into our midseason form, I'm sure we'll streamline this show a little bit. We'll have some shorter episodes for you here, but No matter how long it takes, man, I love talking football with you. It's great to have you back on the show here. And what's happening over at BradPowerSports.com right now? Well, I appreciate that. And always a pleasure talking to you, man. I I love doing this show, whether it's audio or video. Especially it's a pleasure that you can see me now, too, right? See my beautiful face. Pleasure. I mean, I don't like seeing myself so much that I didn't even put on my glasses. That's how much I didn't want to see you. I'm kidding. Uh, At BradPowerSports.com, it's, you know, at business as usual. So what I've talked about for the last several years doing this podcast with you is my newsletter. Game right up on every single college game. Game right up for every single NFL game. Top picks of the week, power ratings, trends, you name it. It's all in there. And the, the cost is 79 bucks. Not for one week, not for one pick, not for one sport, but for the entire season through the Super Bowl. Hell, through spring. Spring, if we have one, Big Ten, Pac-12, they play in the spring. You're covered all the way through an entire year for 79 bucks. 
bradbowersports.com. And as always, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Powers and the number seven. And you can follow me at Skating Tripods on Twitter as well. Brad, always a treat, always a pleasure, brother. Love chatting football with you. Appreciate your time as always. And we'll talk to you again next Thursday. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you then. There you go. There's Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com and at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Tomorrow, I'm supposed to do the betters box, but I've been thinking about it. I've got to do my Circa Million picks, or at least the thoughts that I have for the Circa Million here on Friday. So I'll be on the air with something in podcast form, maybe not in video form since I'm doing it solo. And I don't know, that feels kind of weird. I feel like I should have an OnlyFans to do that or something like that. But uh, we'll be doing some stuff here for ATS.io Radio on Friday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.